From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. We just returned from vacation this past week. And uh, somebody once said that young parents don't go on vacation, they just watch their children in a different location. And that's partly true, but we did have a good time. We, uh, We drove down through the States to chase the sunshine, and we thought we'd bring it back with us, and I think it's almost there. You know, it's a little delayed. But uh, we had a really good time. We only had a few hiccups along the way. The day, the morning we left, we left about 3, 4 a.m., one of our daughters got sick and battled a fever for five days, two days in a car, poor thing. We just, by the skin of our teeth, I feel like, two to three, two to three, two to two, yeah, one to two car lengths, missed a five to six car pileup on the highway that shook me up for like a couple hours. And then our car broke down mid-trip. We were traveling all day and doing some sightseeing. It's 10 p.m. We got back to the car, and it won't start. And so I learned how to Uber very, very quickly, which is very, at least in that location, is very convenient. But we had quite the journey. This has been a trip that we have been planning for some time. And as much as um, there was a lot of things and a lot of kids, we had a lot of fun, and we left filled. We did, we did leave feeling filled, kind of the ones where you're like, I don't know if I want to go back. But we're going to take a journey as a church. We're going to take a road trip as a church going through the book of Ephesians together. The Lord has put this on my heart for some time, and I've been holding on to it for a while. And I believe it's going to be significant for us, and I believe that we're going to leave this filled. So over the course of a number of weeks, we're going to journey through this letter and see what the Lord has for us. Uh, Today, we're going to set the stage for the letter. We're going to look at the beginning of the church in Ephesus And we're going to ask the Lord to reveal to us the idols that are in our lives that we need to lay down and how how good is it of the Spirit through the worship this morning to already speak those things. Next week, we're going to detour. So when we were traveling down on our vacation, we detoured as we were journeying along and stopped at some different stops that were not the destination. And next week, we're going to do the same. We're actually going to take a detour because it is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is the day that we commemorate in the church of when the Holy Spirit was given to the church from Acts chapter 2. And so we're going to do something a little different. What we're going to do is we're going to worship, and I'm going to share a little bit, but we're going to spend a, a lot of time at the altar And we're going to spend time praying for the baptism of the Spirit. And we're going to pray that we would be filled with the Spirit in such a way that we would see the manifestations of those graces of God through tongues, gift of tongues, through prophecy, through miracles. We're going to believe in faith for that. If you are with us and you're like, that's a little bit different than my tradition, you can go online on YouTube. And we've talked a little bit about this in the past. We had a whole series back in 2020 on the Holy Spirit. Um, But we're going to pray we're going to pray that the Spirit of God moves. And if you are someone that's here that is filled with the Spirit, specifically someone who's been filled with the Spirit, with the manifestations of God's grace through tongues and prophecy, I would, I would ask that you would come early at 9 a.m. pray in that prayer room for our service and pray that the Spirit would move. So if that's you today, come, or next week, come and, and pray. And this week, if all of us, if you're here and you're like, I would love, 
I would love to be filled with the Spirit with that experience, that Pentecost experience, Acts chapter two. That's how the Pentecostal movement really began, you know, 100 years ago is there was people who read the book of Acts and they said, I want that. I read a book this week, I'm gonna allude to it a little bit later in the message, called Catholic Pentecostals. And it was Catholics who read Acts chapter two and they wanted that experience and so they prayed for it. So my encouragement for us this morning, whether you've been filled with the Spirit in that or maybe you long for it is Every day, read Acts chapter two and just pray for the filling of the Spirit in that experience, that way. Lord, I want this that way. So that's what we're gonna do next week. That's the plan. I'm debating whether or not that will even be online. So if you're listening online and you're like, I wanna be part of that, or if you're here in the house and you're like, I wanna be part of that, come in house because we might not be online. I don't know. The Lord will lead us. If you got a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter one. And then turn again to Acts chapter 19. Ephesians chapter one and Acts chapter 19. Ephesians chapter one says this, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Ephesians is a letter written by Paul the apostle while in prison in Rome for preaching about Jesus. And it's written to believers, apprentices of Jesus in Ephesus, the church that Paul planted about six to seven years prior to that letter. So six, seven years prior to, which we're gonna talk about today, Paul planted a church that kind of began spontaneously somewhat. And this is a letter written to that church years later. Now we read about Ephesians in a few different areas. We read about it through the letter Ephesians. We read about it in Acts chapter 18 and 19, which we're gonna look at today. And then we read about it in the book of Revelation where God, through Jesus, to Paul, gives a message to the church in, in, in Ephesus and, and commends them for, for their acts of service, for their good deeds, but then he warns them that they've lost their first love. He says, this I have against you that you've lost your first love. Now, Ephesus for some time was a exemplary church. It was a model church for many times. It was thriving, it was good. But if you would go to modern day Turkey today where Ephesus would have been located, there is not an Ephesian church. It did not heed the warning of revelation and it fell and it died. But I pray that through today and through this journey that we take through Ephesians is we would, we would listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches and we would, we would see what the Lord has for us through the book of Revelation. The biggest thing that we're gonna see this morning, at least the one that I'm gonna focus on, is that the gospel is always fiddling with the idols in our lives. The gospel of Jesus is always fiddling with the idols in our lives. Here's a question for our heart is what idols have taken significant position in your life? What idols have taken significant position in my life? What has set itself up in a position in my life which only God should hold? Just ponder that for a moment while I open this. So Father, we thank you for today. And as we dive into this, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Each individual person, Lord, you know our journeys. You know where we are. You know the things we're involved in. You know the things, God, we do. You know what we say. You know what we think. Speak to us and reveal to us, God, maybe the things in our life that have taken hold of the place that you should hold. And as we look at the Ephesians, God, this 
letter through this next number of weeks. I pray that you'd speak to this church and you'd transform us and you'd leave us feeling filled in such a way as we sang today that we would extend that love to others around us. We bless your name. We bless you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 19, we're gonna read a lot today because it's gonna give us some context. It says this, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Baptism for the, baptism is and was a rite of passage, a rite of initiation for many movements and and religions, and for the church, it is a sacrament. Historically, though, when you look at the early church and you look at the first few centuries of the church, baptism in water was always connected with baptism of the Spirit. The people would believe they were baptized in water as a symbolic act of what had happened, and then the apostles or disciples or leaders within the church in the first few centuries, the bishops would come and lay their hands on the person to, be, to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Specifically, what was notable was those outward signs that one had received the Spirit, and this was the practice for many centuries. So they said, they asked them, uh, they, they answered, no, we have not heard there was a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, then what baptism did you receive? And they say, John's baptism. They replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became abstinent. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the, the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the promise of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. It's like anointed snot rags. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest who were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I know about, but who are you? I love that because it shows you that the authority to cast out the demonic is not just in the name of Jesus alone. It's in the spirit-filled person speaking the name of Jesus. Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirits jumped on them and overpowered them. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed, confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 
In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So 50,000 drachmas would have been the equivalent of 50,000 days wages, which today is about $10 million. After all this has happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I'd been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Aratus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. So Paul is not afraid to call out the gods of the world. There is a danger not only in our trade that it will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And soon the whole city was in uproar. The people seized Gaius and Articus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent a message begging him not to venture into the theater. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. Sounds a little bit like social media. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front, and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there's no reason for it. And after he said this, he dismissed the assembly. So just some quick background information on Ephesus. I know that was lengthy, but it gives us some context. Ephesus was a major city in Asia Minor. It was a port city at much time. It was along a lot of trade routes, a lot of shipping routes. It was the largest trading center in all of Asia Minor. So it brought in a lot of people from the known world. It brought in a lot of trade. At the time that the gospel arrived there, there were around 220 to 250,000 people. It had a massive 24,000-person uh, theater. It is said that it was so acoustically treated that somebody could whisper and all 24,000 people would hear. It was an urban center. It was culturally diverse. It was full of people from different philosophical and religious perspectives. It abounded in pagan and cult worship. The city was known as a center for magical practices. They were obsessed with demons and magic and occult practices. 
And we can see this explicitly because when we read the text, we see that when they turned to Christ, they laid down those occult materials and burned them. Life revolved around the Greek goddess Artemis and temple worship. The city had a massive temple, which was arguably the largest building in antiquity. It's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Artemis was the goddess of sexual fertility, and she was represented by a statue of many breasts. Worship of her was life, and she was known as the wife of the Ephesians, the great protector and nourisher. And so idols of Artemis were a significant part of, a, of the economic life of Ephesus, so much so that selling those idols brought economic stability. And we see the uproar and the riot because of the potential of economic instability. It was also a center for imperial cult worship, the worship of the Roman emperor. Worship of Caesar was a glue that held the society together. In fact, in 11 AD to 13 AD, they built a second temple and dedicated to Caesar Augustus. He was called by the Ephesians, the son of God. And he was worshiped as the warrior God who brought order to the world. In fact, so significant was his rule that they changed the calendar to center around his birthday. Sound familiar? And in the decree, he was referred to as Savior and God, and they called his birthday Good Tidings, or Evangelion, which in translated from Greek to English is where we get our word gospel. So significant understanding and changes happened when an Ephesian gave their life to Christ because their whole world was turned upside down. The good, true gospel was found in Christ. The savior of the world was Jesus. The son of God was, was Jesus. And all these idols and gods were thrown out. So by the, Paul, time Paul, by the time Paul arrives, Ephesus was a hyper-spiritual city that worshiped money. We see that through trade and economics. Sexuality and pagan practices. They were in desperate need of the transforming work and power of Jesus. That doesn't seem too far off from our culture today. Doesn't seem too far off from Canada. Thankfully, God was already at work in Ephesus. Paul arrives there and he meets some disciples who had been baptized by John the Baptist. And his first question for these disciples that he meets isn't, do you know Jesus? His first question for them is, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? Paul is pointing to Pentecost, where baptism of the Spirit followed conversion. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? The overflowing power and fullness of the Spirit of God manifested through those outward gifts for Paul it wasn't just knowledge that someone had the Spirit. It wasn't just a head knowledge. It was a, an experiential, tangible thing. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? They hadn't even heard there was a Spirit, so he points them to Jesus. They believe in Jesus. He baptized them in water, and then we see that he lays their hands, his hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied manifestations of the Spirit following the baptism of the Spirit. So here's my question. Is there a hunger in you for more fullness of God's spirit moving and working through you? Is there 
a desire in you to experience the manifestations of what Paul calls in Romans the greater gifts. And they're not greater because those who have them are some, you know, you know, elite level people. They're greater because they edify the church to a greater degree. Is there in you a longing for deeper intimacy with the Spirit of God? Because when I look around the state of the church today, not just Parkway, but the church, I don't see that. Somehow, I don't even know how it's possible, we've disassociated following Jesus with life in the Spirit. Somehow, according to the church's practice, you can follow Jesus and not live a life of the Spirit. But for Paul, they were part and parcel. It was part of the whole package. If you were a disciple, it was a necessary, immediate next step. To follow Jesus was to be filled with the Spirit. To follow Jesus was to be empowered for mission and service. The people of God were marked by the supernatural work of God. The people of God are marked today still by the supernatural work of God. Are we a people of God if we do not see the supernatural work of God? If you look at Paul and you look at his ministry, it was characterized by the Spirit. It says in the text that we read that God did extraordinary gifts of miracles that followed his ministry. Handkerchiefs were anointed. Kleenex. Maybe not disposable ones like we have today. But you know like when you go to a wedding and there's that one guy who's got the handkerchief in his pocket and he pulls it out and he does that and he shoves it back in, maybe you're that, that, he'd pass that on. And you were healed. Yes. He asked them, have you received the spirit? Now the criticism today is that was then, well, this is now, right? That was for then, but not for today. That marked that time, but not this time. Well, this account in Acts chapter 19 was about 25 years after Acts chapter two. Well, that's the apostolic era. But you have actually, if you read church history, accounts of the history of the giftings of God at work among a people. As I said earlier, I read a book this past couple weeks called Catholic Pentecostals, and I had no intention of reading this book. It was just in the condo where we were staying, nuzzled on the shelf, and I picked it up and I said, well, that's interesting. That seems a little bit like two opposite ends of the spectrum. So I started reading it, and it was the history of the Pentecostal experience, the gift of tongues, prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, baptism of the Spirit happening among Catholics in the 1960s. And it wasn't that their theology shifted. It's not that they looked at the scripture and said, we believe the wrong things. They held tightly to their Catholic distinctives. But they read something, they were hungry for what God had for them, and so they chased after it, and God started to move among priests and nuns and devout Catholics because they were hungry for the Spirit of God. The command in Ephesians chapter 5 is not to be drunk on much wine, which leads to debauchery, but to be filled with the Spirit. And he's talking to Spirit-filled people as he's saying that, be Filled with the Spirit because it is from the fullness of the Spirit that we get intimacy with God. We get freedom from our idols and our hang-ups, and that's where the power of God dwells. We wonder sometimes, why can't I do as so-and-so does for the kingdom of God, or why can't I have that kind of boldness? And Because you're relying on your own strength as opposed to the Spirit of God. Because when the Spirit of God flows you, that's the natural outcome. 
the natural outcome. So Paul, we read, he goes to the synagogue, which was his pattern, right? He arrives in a place, he goes to the synagogue, to the Jews, to bring the message of Jesus from the scriptures. And it says that he spoke there for about three months, but the Jews were resistant, and they began to slander Christians. And I found that encouraging, because not everyone that you go and you share the good news about Jesus is going to receive. Not everyone is going to have open arms. In fact, it's a promise throughout the New Testament. Jesus said, you'll be hated because of me. He warned the disciples that when you're dragged before the authorities because of me, rely on the Holy Spirit, he says. We see throughout the book of Acts, as we look and study the early church, these early Christians, what happened. It's all, most of the stories are about the opposition they faced. And then there's these one little liners that says the Lord added um, daily to the, the number that was being saved. Jews were abstinent. They were refusing to begin to slander the Christians. So he leaves them and he heads to the urban center. He starts preaching daily at the local lecture hall. He began having discussions in the public spaces about Jesus and faith and about the way of the cross. And he spends two years doing this to, the, to so much sharing daily in the lecture hall until everyone in the region, both Jews and Gentiles, both Jews and Greeks have heard about Jesus. That is no small thing. He did not leave until the known region had heard the gospel of Jesus. And that's, that's a pattern for New Testament believers. They waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus told them to do. Acts chapter two, Jesus baptized them in that Holy Spirit, radically transforms them, and then they disperse and seek to share the gospel everywhere they go. Paul doesn't leave there until everyone has a chance to hear. It is characteristic church of a person who has been transformed by the Spirit of God to see everywhere that they are as a mission field. You do not exist as a living person today if you are filled with the Spirit to live life for yourself. But you are here on mission to share the gospel everywhere you go. Not just getting on a short-term trip and traveling to so-and-so's country over here to help them, but your workplace, your school, your neighborhood, whatever your sphere of influence is, that area in which you are, God has placed you there as a spirit-filled believer to share the gospel. In your personality, I have to say that because I was like, well, I'm not as bold as you are. I'm quiet and introverted. So am I, believe it or not. But to be a light, that's what the New Testament believers did. Paul's like, I'm just, I just gotta go with the gospel. I'm gonna share the gospel wherever I go. And noted, side note, when you read about Paul's journeys, never does Paul say, I'm gonna pray about whether God wants me to go there. In fact, the only time Paul doesn't go somewhere is because the Holy Spirit stops him. He's like, I'm gonna go here. The Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 don't go there. He's like, okay, well, I'll go here. Never does he say what we say today. Well, I'm just gonna pause and I'm gonna pray about the Lord's will. Well, if somebody doesn't know Jesus and you have the Spirit of God in you, and the gospel needs to be shared, just go and let the Spirit stop you from going. Let him put up some roadblocks and that will be a sign to you that it's not his will. But don't let your own mind get in the way of what God wants to do in and through you. Just pray about it. It's an excuse, person. That was for free. 
So Paul is here and he's doing, he's, he's sharing the gospel and God's doing extraordinary miracles, it says, through Paul. So much so that Jews tried to invoke the name of Jesus to drive out demons because of what Paul was doing. They saw what Paul was doing. They saw what God was doing through Paul. And so they tried to invoke the name of Jesus. And the demons don't respond. They don't leave. The demiac even says at one point, Jesus we know, Paul we know about, but who are you? You know, may we be so captivated by the truth of the gospel. And may we seek to be continually filled with the Spirit, working with the gifts of God that he's given us in supernatural ways that the armies of Satan know about our names. Jesus I know, Paul we know about, but who are you? Where do you fit in that statement? It's only two because you're not Jesus. There's a move of the Spirit in Ephesus. The name of Jesus is being held in high honor. The word of the Lord is spreading and it's growing in power. And there becomes this clear distinction between Jesus' authority and the authority of the enemy. A line is being drawn in Ephesus. Those who practice witchcraft begin to see the power and authority of God. And this is why we need the Spirit of God to fill us in such a miraculous way to do miraculous things through us so people will see that the power of God is greater than the power of this world. People were so moved in reverence, they were seized with fear that they began to respond to the gospel, the goodness of Jesus, and see the truth. And not just see the truth in the goodness of God, but to the chains they were carrying. They when the gospel came and the spirit moved in Ephesus, the light came on for people. Those in darkness seen what they were worshiping and what they were worshiping was nothing at all. They saw that what they worshiped actually enslaved them. What they were hungry for couldn't satisfy because they saw in Jesus what could truly quench their thirst. You know, I'm praying for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit of God so that you can see what enslaves you. And what can actually quench your thirst. Because the enemy is cunning and he's wise. And he's been around a long time. And he's so manipulated and deceived the West. We are so blinded that we look to those Eastern religions and we say, how could they worship a statue? Yet we worship things every day. But when the gospel showed up in Ephesus, the light bulb came on and they began to see clearly what enslaved them. So they began to put aside these things. In a very real, tangible way, they began taking their pagan occult practices and they burned them. It reminds me of back in the day, like when I was a youth, we would like take like non-Christian CDs and we'd, we'd break them and we'd burn them. Anybody remember those days? Anybody part of this? Some of you are nodding your heads. Like, yeah, some of you are ashamed of those days. Some of you are like, I still wish I had that CD because now I like that band. Man, the spirit moves and people are changed and demons are possessed and they're burning their idols. It was prophetic imagery of what God is going to do in, to Satan and the demonic in the fires of hell. 
Now for the Christian, the believer in Jesus, the occult with its practices, witchcraft is clearly demonic activity. But let me tell somebody here, if you are involved in mediums, in psychics, in tarot card readings, and the like, you are deceived by Satan into believing that what you are contacting is good spirits or past deceased relatives, but behind those powers are demonic spirits. We read about that in Deuteronomy 32 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It is a demon that you speak with whose agenda is not to help you, not to befriend you, but to harm you, to hurt you, to destroy you. And the deception is that it's disguised as light and as helpful. That's, that's how cunning the enemy is. The Bible says that he masquerades as an angel of light, not a pitchfork, red, gruesome-looking being with a long tail and a little pointy thing on the end. That's Hollywood's version but the biblical version is that he was an angel who fell and he's been around for a long time and he knows how to deceive a people. Be set free by the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the one you seek after. Now, for those of us who may not be involved in the occult, we still have idols. Our society isn't so different from Ephesus. It's marked by similar gods and similar practices. We have temples and altars to the same spirits. They just have a different shape and a different name. We still worship sex. We still worship money. We still worship self. We worship these spirits. They go by different names, sexual identity and gender, pleasure, indulgence, consumption, immoral sex, strong drink, much food. Fill in the blank. Make an honest observation of your life. Like, be honest with yourself. What has become your idol? What is it that you need to lay down and set on fire? Because it's taken a place that only Jesus should have in your life. Now, don't go like burning your house or anything, right? Like, But what is that for you? Ask the Spirit of God. What, what, is, what have I made into an idol? What have I put on, on the mantle of my life to gaze upon in wonder and glory? Is it my television set? You can burn that if you want. How dare you? That was $1,000. Is Jesus not worth $1,000 to you? Oh, I just got serious. What is it for you? Like, be honest with yourself. Reality shifted for these people. And that's what happens when we, as people of God, actually live spirit-filled life. The sick were healed. Illnesses were cured. Demons were kicked out. See, where the gospel is preached and the spirit flows, idols are displaced. Now, this brought not celebration to the people in Ephesus. It brought resistance because when the enemy is uprooted and territory is taken for the kingdom of God in our lives and our cities, the enemy fights back. So a riot breaks out. The assembly's in confusion. People are shouting one thing. People are shouting another. Some don't even know why they're there, right? And I feel like that's part of us in our culture sometimes. There's just a lot of commotion, a lot of arguing, a lot of back and forth, and we don't really know what's going on. We're just kind of there in the midst of it all. 
Paul was preaching that, that idols are no gods at all. There's a revolt, and they start shouting. The Greeks start shouting, great is Artemis. Great is Artemis. One guy in particular starts saying, this is going to bring economic instability. It's going to ruin the economy. This is not good for the economy. Sounds, it's getting political. So powerful is this move of God among this city that economics, infrastructure, and the heart of the city was impacted. Two kingdoms are colliding. There is war happening in the spiritual places among the people of Ephesus. And we read about in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6 that the battles that we face are not flesh and blood but are against principalities and powers and rulers in dark places fought in heavenly spaces. And we see that happening in Ephesus. What a reminder for them later on as he writes that letter seven years later. So wait a second, remember, our battle's not against flesh and blood because there is a battle that's happening here. It's seen and felt in the people, in the economy, in the politics, in the infrastructure, but it's happening in spiritual places as the gospel is uprooting the enemy from the Ephesian city. My prayer for you, my prayer for Parkway, my prayer for our region is that God would do the same as the gospel is spread and we choose to be filled with the spirit and go. Is that everywhere you step foot, we begin to uproot where the enemy has planted himself and spiritual battle occurs. Well, that sounds a little uncomfortable. I'm fearful. I don't know if I want spiritual battle. Yes, we do. Because that means more lives are won for the kingdom of God. And that might mean that we have to experience some hardship and some difficulty. Far be it from Parkway Church to be slandered from our city so that others can be a part of the kingdom of God. I would rather people point their finger at Pastor Call saying, have you heard what that guy preaches at that church? If it means that 10 or 20 or 100 or 1,000 people hear the gospel and are changed by it and get to be a part of the kingdom of God. My name being slandered is worth that. Parkway's name being hated is worth that. Now, thankfully, we don't have that reputation, and I pray that we don't. But I'm not going to let the fear of man stop me from being filled with the Spirit to go and reach others. Are you tracking with me? What's more important to us, church? Our idols or our God. Spiritual battles occurring. Two kingdoms are colliding. And it takes a clerk to point out the impact of the law. He says, wait, let's settle down, guys. There's going to be like legal repercussions here. Let's just stop this. And then they're dismissed and go. I invite the worship team to come. You know, as I was reflecting on this, I think Ephesus is Canada. And this is us. We need to find ourselves in this story and we need to embrace the gospel and the power of the spirit and overthrow those idols and those so-called gods in our life. I'm just telling them what I want them to sing. We need to embrace Jesus and his way or we will stay enslaved to sin and culture. We need to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit to be integrated in our lives, in our jobs, in our homes, in our money, not just at church. You do not live a life of integrity if you only show up to Jesus when you show up to church. 
We need to say yes to the Holy Spirit. We need to confess our sin. We need to lay down those idols. We need to lay down the lesser things for the greater things. What we need to do is we need to practice laying down ourselves. Jesus called this, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me daily. It's the daily death of self and its desires and daily renewal in Jesus. It's choosing to deny me and my impulses and choose Jesus for he is more. What did John the Baptist say when his disciples came and they were complaining that Jesus was being elevated and people were following Jesus? He said, he must increase, I must decrease. And we need to take on the same terminology. We need to receive that truth. He must increase and I must decrease, which means, church, that you need to kill off some things in your life. the total voluntary surrender of self and giving yourself wholly to him. Now, sometimes this means listening to God speaking to you about giving up something that isn't necessarily bad or wrong in and of itself, but it's just taking up space. That's usually where in the church we kind of get hung up. We got idols that aren't wrong in themselves but they've just taken space. It's become a central thing. But when we let it go, that gives more space for God and to hear him clearly. When I was young, I was about 19 years old, I was working at Sobeys. And I used to work in the meat department as a, as a meat cutter. And I was always taught to work hard and have a strong work ethic, show up early, leave late. And so I, I did those things and it got noticed and eventually I got promoted and I got, became the assistant manager of my meat department, 19 years old. And my manager at the time was kind of like old school. He wasn't really administrative, but I had some of those skills. And so he kind of gave that all to me. I got to make the schedule for him and me. I got to make my own hours. Got paid more, it was great. Back in the day, raised from 6.85 an hour the $13 was significant. I was rolling in the dough. Bought a new fancy car. Man, life was good. I was in Bible college at the time. I'm like, Lord is blessing me. You know, I'm, I'm pursuing what I feel he's calling me to pursue. I, everywhere, just touched by God. And then I remember showing up to a service one night, young adult service. And I felt the Lord say to me, would you give it up? I was like, no, whoa, hold on a sec. This is from you. Like this is, you, you opened this door for me to make more money, make my own schedule, be my own boss, show up when I want to, leave when I want to, $13 an hour. It's comical now. And I, I ignored it. And the next week it was so strong. I remember a mentor of mine came over. His name was Barry Welch. And he says, what's going on? As I just sat in tears and I said, I feel like God's asking me to give up something that's so important. Like, so, like how am I going to pay for school? Like, how am I going to do all these things? And ironically, he had a very similar experience as a meat cutter in a, in a grocery store. And so I showed up the next day and I went to my manager and his name was Al. And I said, Al, he says, yeah, it's 6 a.m. in the morning. I said, I quit. And you know what he said to me? good for you. And I went to the store manager and I let him know I put in my two weeks. 
couple weeks later, I had to sell that car. I sold it to my high school best friend. Watched my high school best friend drive away in my, what was it? It was a 1995 Grand Prix GTP red. Had some like black covers on. It's just fancy for the time. <laughs> but the Lord asked me, would you lay down this for me? That's just an example that comes to my mind, but what is it for you? What is taking space in your life? Maybe it's something outright demonic. Maybe it's occult activity, right? Maybe there's something significant that you're chasing after that the scripture quite literally says is sinful. And you need to lay that down. You need to confess that before the Lord, lay it down, receive forgiveness, and be filled with the Spirit. Maybe it's just something that you've crafted into an idol in your own heart. Maybe it's something you can't get rid of like a person. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child. Some that you are called to love dearly and sacrifice for, but has taken the place of God. You can't lay them down and burn them, but you can lay them down in your heart. It's taken up space. Lay it down and instead be filled with the Spirit. So if Paul, six, seven years later, writes this letter in Ephesians, and he begins the letter by saying this to this church, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful of Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. What are they hearing when he says this? This people that at one time burned their occult material. This city that at one time was in uproar because the gospel was displacing all of their idols, was taking space. They hear they are God's people set apart by his name. Grace, unmerited favor, peace, calm inner presence in the midst of chaos to you. And may we become as they were. God's holy people set apart. Why? Because we chose to receive grace, to receive the gospel, to receive Christ, to be baptized by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, to lay down the idols of our life. So that message could be said to you and to us. God's holy people in Corona, St. Clair Township in Sarnia, Lambton County, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you. Some of you are walking without grace and you're walking without peace. You may feel like you're going through difficult circumstances and you wonder where God is. Well, maybe there's things in your life that have taken his place and he needs to become center again. So here's what I want to do. The team's going to lead us in that, that song that we sang again and we're just going to come. I'm going to ask that you would come as a physical sign of laying down whatever it is. And you're saying, Lord, I'm laying down this thing and just meet with God in this front space here. We call it the altar. Say, I lay this down. This has become my idol, and I give it to you. Could we do that? 
And if you know there's something in you and you think, I don't need to go to the front, I'll just do it here. Don't let pride hold you back. Don't let pride hold you back. Don't let what others may think of me as they see me going to the front. So if you are a board of director, you're an elder, you are a core leader, you run a life group, like you would be someone in Parkway Church that people would hold high esteem if there's something in your life, I'm calling on you to come and lay it down. If anything, come as a model for those around because too often we let pride hold us back. You know what I'm saying? So as the team leads us, I just pray that you come, you lay it down, you receive his grace and ask for the filling of the spirit that you may walk in freedom. Holy Spirit of God, we just invite you to come right now. And as we sing and as we declare that you are good, you are king, I pray that you'd nudge us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and follow after you by laying down the things that have become idols in our life. In Jesus' name, would you stand and would you come? Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.